0: Do we have green? Good to be with you this morning again. It's a, a blessing that I really have to share with you to be able to travel to different places to see people that you only see periodically, uh, to be warmly welcomed, to renew friendships, to see faces. It's always great. It's a, a blessing that we we have enjoyed for many many years. Pam would love to be here with me today. She's on an airplane as we speak. Uh, she went to a wedding yesterday in Germany, in Dresden. A young lady that uh, we saw come to faith, saw her parents come to faith through the years, and uh, was like a daughter to us, and uh, she she needed to be there. She always called Pam her, her American mother, so Pam had to be there. And it, Larry should have been there, but it just... Didn't work out this, this year financially for us. We are in Abilene, Texas. I'm not going to say we're settled. We're working on it. We came back to the States in May uh, and have been working on renovating an old house. Uh, y'all are welcome to come and see it. Uh, nothing special, but a, a very nice old older home on Highland Avenue in Abilene. And we are searching. Pam is... Uh, teaching adjunct courses in ESL program at uh, Abilene Christian. Teaching four courses this semester is a pretty full load for her, but that's, that's her world. She's, she's where she needs to be, and hopefully that'll work into a full-time position at some point. Larry is still searching, and he's been preaching in a lot of different places, has proposals in to, to a, the Hillcrest Church in Abilene uh, with, the, with the hopes and the prayer that something will come out of that. I want to share with you this morning some, some thoughts that have been going through my mind for a long time. And it's great that we sang that song, We Place You in the, the Highest Place. You know, as we came back from Germany, we had a long list of things that we had to get done. We had to do. We had to, we had to find a home. We had to think about insurance. We had to look for jobs. And it was easy to lose track of what was most important in our lives. What's number one? What are your priorities in life? And I know this is something that every one of us faces at some point every day, I guess. We face those facts, what do I want to do as number one today? What's most important on my to-do list? I'm glad that we have songs like this. We can remember the Lord comes as first priority always, regardless of what our list looks like. But as we looked at these things, it became clear there were certain things that had to be done first. And so I want to look at a passage today with you in 1 Timothy where those very words are used. I urge you then first of all. We're going to look at a passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. But I want to say a couple of things uh, as a kind of introduction to that. We're familiar with the, the Timothy letters and the letter to Titus where, where the Apostle Paul is writing to young evangelists to encourage them. Timothy, in particular, was left in Ephesus by Paul. We always think of Timothy as a young man. Historians tell us he was probably in his early 30s when these letters were received. As he's not so young, looks younger every day, but uh, early 30s is, is still pretty young, but not as young as we had thought. And he's having difficulties in the church there. I don't know how big the church was in Ephesus. Maybe maybe this size, maybe smaller. I don't know how, if they had how many elders they had or how stable this church was, but I know they had problems. And if you read between the lines in the Timotheus Briefe, in the letters to Timothy, you see that there were some problems that were arising even in the public assembly, in the worship service. False teachings. People were speaking out. There were problems, and Timothy was pretty timid. Timothy was a little bit shy, maybe introverted, and was having trouble dealing with this. And the Apostle Paul writes to him in that First Timothy letter. We want to start there in the first chapter. We don't have time to look at the whole, the whole chapter, but let's look at verse 18 in chapter 1. Timothy, he says, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that... By recalling them, you may fight the battle well. Hang in there and fight, Paul is saying. Holding on to faith and to a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. And he mentions Hymenaeus and Alexander, a couple that he had handed over to Satan. Hang on. Stand firm. And then he goes into chapter 2, which I find very interesting, uh, the NIV translation, I have to just say, is not always the most exact translation. But he says, I urge you then, first of all, I urge you then, first of all, and my Bible, my German Bible, one of them that's, that's painfully exact, it doesn't flow very well, says, translated loosely translated, of first and of most importance, Timothy, The first and the most important thing, I want to urge you, Paul says here in the NIV, of first importance, pray. Now I want you to imagine for a moment that you received this letter from Paul, a manuscript, and somewhere along the line that document was damaged. And so you have the whole first chapter, and you've got the first part of this verse. I urge you then of first importance, dot, 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 and it ends there. How would you fill that in? How would you fill it in as a church? What would be the first important, of first importance in regard to the, to the church? Would it be our worship services? Would it be our evangelism, our outreach? Would it be our mission work? Would it be our family ministry or children of first importance, Paul says? Pray. Look at how he says it. He doesn't just say it in one word. He says it in four words. He says, I want to urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Let's stop there for a moment before we move on. It's not without purpose that Paul gives us four words for prayer. Some translators and some very loose translations, transliterations, just say prayer is most important and just use one word. Paul says, I urge you then, first of all, of most importance, that prayer, petition. Uh, what's that? I'm looking for another word, and a German word is what's coming. Your translation may have it instead of petition. Supplication, thank you very much. I urge you then, of first importance, that supplications be offered to God. That's a long word, and I don't remember as a child using supplication. Mother, I'd like to supplicate. Uh, uh, but we know what it means to offer petition to God for things. It comes from a, it's part of a word that in the original language has to do with something that's missing. What's missing? Pray for those things that are missing. And I thought about a couple of passages that we can read in first or first chapter of Romans, for example, where Paul says, i Pray, I offer petition for Israel that they might be saved. What was lacking? Salvation in the case of Israel. His people, it was lacking. And there are a lot of passages where we could look at, I urge you then pray for those things that are lacking in your family, in your life, in your church, in your world. And boy, that could be a long list, couldn't it? Petitions, supplications be offered for all people. The second word he uses is prayer, and that's a general term. Pray to God for whatever comes to mind. Come like a father to a or a child to a father and ask for those things that you need that you desire. But it's the third term in this list that grabs you. And I read it somewhere this is a term that is a noun that is crying out to be a verb. It's an action. It's an action word. It's intersection interceding for people in prayer. That's deep. That is deep. And that is an incredible ministry that we can have, every one of us, can have in our world for all people and for those leaders. It's interesting because this word means to be, to take part. To stand, basically it means to stand in the gap between God the Father and and those who have needs. And that's a beautiful picture, if you think about it. It's what, in Romans chapter 8, what the Holy Spirit does for us. He intercedes for us with groanings that we can't hear. And we've been there, haven't we? times in our lives when when things are so rough, they're so low, they're so bad, that we don't know how to pray, or what to pray for. Paul says the Holy Spirit intercedes to God because He knows our heart. He takes those thoughts and those feelings from our hearts and takes them to the Father. He stands in the gap between us and the Father and intercedes for it. In that same chapter in Romans chapter 8, we read that that's what Christ has done for us. He has intercedes to God for us on our behalf. It's a beautiful picture. And I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, that individuals who pray like that, individuals who are not afraid to stand in the gap for their family members, for their neighbors, for their co-workers, for their nation, and the list goes on and on. People who are not afraid to stand in the gap are going to be people who are overflowing with thanksgiving, and that's the fourth term that he uses. They're never going to be lacking for thanks, things to thank God about. And a church that unites together, and Paul is writing to Timothy about the church here, in this context, we're talking about the public worship assembly. Read on in chapter 2. A church that prays like this will ne- will be a church that's never lacking an opportunity to serve, to reach out, and should be ready. If we're going to pray in this way. We need to be ready to serve. And to give God the thanks that he deserves. For all men. Isn't it interesting the way he uh, goes from all men to... Uh, The uncomfortable verse in verse 2. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, intercessions, prayers, and thanksgiving be made for all people. We can handle that. For kings and all those who are in authority. Wow, that hurts. I didn't vote for this guy. I don't like all his policies. Paul says, pray for him. Pray for them. Pray for them. We can imagine, uh, one fellow said it this way, we relativize their authority when we pray to God for our leaders. Because we realize who's in charge and who has the ultimate authority and God gives the authority to others as he sees fit according to his plan. And we have to trust that, especially in times like these. Paul says, pray for all We can go through this passage. We don't have to look on. We know passages like go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature or uh, what's it say in Mark chapter 16? Go into the whole world, preach the gospel, make all nations, Matthew says, "to, to disciples. But we only need to look further in this passage to see what he means when he says all people and what we're involved in together with our Heavenly Father. He says, I want you to pray for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful, quiet lives in all godliness, holiness, and this is good, he says. This pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people, we serve a God who wants all people to be saved. Refugees? Absolutely. We serve a God who sent his Son for all people. All people, regardless of, of what we think of them. God is overall. And that what happened on the cross with Jesus Christ is good for all mankind. Everyone. You know, sometimes... I don't know how your your prayer lists are. I know a lot of you have done prayer lists. I do a prayer list. And, and it's been interesting for me to look back at my prayer lists. Because most of the time my prayer list is like a, a target almost. Circle in the middle and, and you know, to be real honest, I'm in the middle or those things that are closest to me are in the middle. And then the circles get bigger and bigger. I pray for my family members. I pray for my church family. I pray for my friends. I pray for my coworkers. And the circle gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Paul says change that. Put all people in the middle. Focus on Christ. Focus on interceding for lost people in the middle and then go out from there. Because we serve a missionary God who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. It's tough. To pray for all people. It really is. Uh, I don't know if you've been watching the news. Just in a couple of days ago. Friday I think it was. There was a, uh, a problem in Chemnitz. Of all places. The city where we lived for 19 years. And uh, helped to establish a congregation there. there they found bomb making material. In an apartment. And are looking for a. a a Syrian who evidently slipped in with the refugees. And it's so easy for us when we see stuff like that to think, oh, that's bad, and that is bad. But it's easy to just kind of blanket that and say, all of these people that are moving in our world, that's bad, that's bad. We've got to stay away from that and stay as far away from that as we can. But we serve a God who wants those people to be saved. And so a lot of churches in Europe and a lot of churches in America are are starting to look at this not as a worldwide refugee crisis, but as a worldwide refugee opportunity. It's like God is bringing the mission field to our doorsteps and is kind of asking us, well, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to handle this? Well, it starts with intercessory prayer. It starts by praying for those people and praying for the nation in which we live. I want to look at a passage in the Old Testament that brought this home to me in a, an eye-opening way. In Jeremiah chapter 29, you have to imagine the situation that, that Israel is in when Jeremiah writes. The, we call him the weeping prophet with good reason. He preached for 50 years and had no results. He had a lot to cry about. But he brought the message faithfully and continually that entire time in an Chapter 29, if you can imagine, Israel is in exile. They are prisoners in a foreign land. Their nation has been destroyed. Their uh, capital city of Jerusalem, the temple, has been destroyed. They were carried off as captives, and thousands of them were murdered, were killed by the Babylonian army. And this is what God says through Jeremiah to the people, the exiles, beginning in verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all of those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses. Settle down. Plant gardens. Eat what they produce. Marry. Have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Don't decrease. Also, listen to this. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. A lot of translations say, if they have peace, you too will have peace. Wow. I'm supposed to pray for my captors? I'm supposed to pray for the people who destroyed my city, who burnt the temple, destroyed it, who killed my family? Paul says, or God says, absolutely. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. Well, the passage in 1 Timothy says this is good. It's good that we pray like this because if we pray for peace and God gives us peace, we can share the gospel. That's what God wants. Who wants all men to be saved? This is good and pleasant before God our Savior. Ungename is the word that the Germans use. For pleasant, and that's a that's a word that means uh, that's comfortable. It's pleasant. It's a it's peaceful. It's like sitting out on your on your balcony or on your terrace or on your uh, what do houses here have a, a patio? Thank you. <laughs> sitting out on your patio on a beautiful fall day and enjoying a glass of tea, you know, watching the birds. That's pleasant. Well, for some of us anyway, <laughs> but. Uh, That's what God says we should pray for. But it's not only just so that we'll have more, be more wealth, have more wealth, have bigger cars and bigger houses and more money. It's so that we can reach these people that God wants us to reach. It's interesting. We are a people with a lot of power at our disposal. A lot of times we don't realize that. I've traveled some since we've been back to different churches, and I've noticed numbers have dwindled in a lot of places. And it's easy to think, oh, we're so weak, we're so small, look at where we used to be, and where are we headed now? We forget the power at our disposal. We forget who's in charge, and we forget who needs to be number one on our priority list, don't we? We read several times in the Old Testament sad times when God is so fed up with His people that He wants to give up. Remember those times? I remember Numbers sixteen, for example, uh, Korak and the, the rebellion of his family, and God destroyed his family. The people rebelled, and God said, "I've had it! I've had enough with this rebellious people! I'm going to destroy them." He sent a plague, and Moses and Aaron stood in the in the way of it and prayed to God. And we read there that. Uh, That Aaron stood between the living and the dead. That's what intercessory prayer is. He stood between the living and the dead. If you read Psalm 106, you'll find a little history lesson for Israel. And he talks, the writer talks about Moses, God's chosen one, who if he had not stood in the gap between God and his people, God would have destroyed them. But there's one last passage, and I want to close with this today. In Ezekiel, chapter 22, because for me it's one of the saddest passages in the entire Bible. It's like God is out there looking. I can see God glancing over his people, looking for, for truthful, faithful people, looking for righteous people, looking for people who will obey his laws, who will stand by his side, who will show their faith and live their faith in him. And he says in verse 30, I looked, Ezekiel twenty-two thirty. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it. It be nice if it ended there. But it says, but I found no one. That gives me goosebumps. I found no one. The fact is, people, God is still looking over his people. God is still looking over his people and looking for men and women and young people who will stand in the gap, who are not afraid to stand in the gap, regardless of opposition, regardless of what the odds look like. Because with God on our side, the odds change drastically in our favor. And so my question to you today is, are you ready as individuals? Are you ready as God's people in Hobbes to stand in the gap for our world? I don't have to tell you what kind of a mess we're in. Just look at the news. (laughs) Look at the news. Read the newspaper. But we serve a God who wants to change that and is willing to change that if his people will stand up, exercise their right to intercessory prayer And stand in the gap for this nation. And for this world. I want to urge you to do that. If you have a need this morning. To express your faith in Christ. Or to ask for prayer. Intercessory prayer. Use this opportunity to do that. While we sing this song together.